Welcome back to the program. Jane Jacobs, in writing about the rise and fall of great cities, talks about a quality even meaner than urban ugliness or disorder. That is the idea, she says, of pretend order, achieved by ignoring or suppressing the real order that is struggling to exist and be served in the world's great cities. This real order is what makes cities flourish and diversity sprout and makes them strange and unpredictable. This, as Jacobs said, is not a drawback. It's the whole point of cities. A city that for a long time embodied that ethos is Calcutta. And while it may be changing and homogenizing today, our guest, esteemed author Amit Chowdhury, captures its essence in his new work, Calcutta, Two Years in the City. Amit Chowdhury is the author of several award-winning novels. He's an internationally acclaimed musician and essayist. He's currently professor of contemporary literature at the University of East Anglia, and a fellow at the Royal Society of Literature. It is my pleasure to welcome Amit Chowdhury to the program today to talk about Calcutta, two years in the city. Amit, thanks so much for joining us. It's a great pleasure. It's great, it's great to have you here. You've written a numerous novels set in Calcutta. Talk a little bit about wanting to write this work of nonfiction about your experiences there. Yes. Um, well, you know, I was born in Calcutta, so I had this sort of... Um, uh, feeling for it as a city. Also, my extended family, uh, l- some of them lived there. I grew up in Bombay, which was a slightly different kind of city. Uh, when I was growing up in Bombay in, in the 60s and 70s, um, we would visit, my parents and I, and my, or my mother and I, we would visit Calcutta once, sometimes twice a year. And um, uh, it seemed to me then not only the most exciting Indian city, um, but you know, I mean, it, it was to me, I see in retrospect, the city which made me define in my head what a modern, or what modernity, not even just modern city, but what modernity might be like with its kind of paradoxes and incompatible convergences between dereliction, urban dereliction and vibrancy. Something that, you know, you, if you think about New York in the 70s or 60s, I mean, you can understand those pa- paradoxes being part of the life of a city and the definition of a city. Um, I wrote three novels about about it. Um, In the 80s and 90s, uh, Calcutta uh, became a marginal city in many ways. Um, There was a Marxist-led government that held power in the state of West Bengal, of which Calcutta is a capital, for 34 years. Um, they were quite anti-industry and anti-investment. They had they had their good points, but uh, their kind of anti-industry stance uh, meant that the city became more and more marginal. Um, and you felt that nothing was happening in the city. Now, I wrote my first two books of the three novels I did about Calcutta from a memory of the vibrancy I'd encountered in the 60s and 70s, which was not incompatible, as I said, with urban disrepair. And then after, afterwards, it seemed that all that remained was the disrepair and then the kind of new property boom that began to happen in the 90s. But none of that intellectual and artistic vibrancy existed uh, it seemed to me that used to kind of shape and inform the, the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, and I resisted the notion of writing this book. My agent uh, suggested it to me in 2005, and I turned him down. <laughs> but in 2007, um, some anecdotes that a poet 
called Utpal Basu was relating to me about a homeless woman who lived in Shialva Station in North Calcutta, which is a very big kind of, you know, um, transit point for people, daily wage earners coming into and going out of Calcutta every day. Uh, the anecdotes you related made me think that there, there's more happening in this city than I give it credit for. That, that, that the conversations might be worth um, listening to. And also, um, you know, I wanted to find out what these people, including me, were doing in this kind of declining or, um, you know, post-bourgeois uh, Calcutta. What, what are we doing here? So, I, as I said, I grew up in Bombay, and then I went to England for a very long time and I moved back to Calcutta in 1999. And that, that could be seen as an unusual move, because people usually move out of Calcutta <laughs> and back to it. So, but I did so, kind of... Um, uh, Deliberately, I wanted to get back to India, and I thought I would get go back to Calcutta. Um, so you know, it's a, it's a city. Uh, sorry, it's a it's a book which meditates about what we do there. Those of us who live there, what wh- what happens in this city now? I want to talk about this idea of modernity as you saw it then. About you talk about your first encounters with what you perceived as modernity, the vibrancy, the culture, the neighborhoods, the contradictions. That in fact, as the city has become, and and this is true of other cities as well, as they have become more of what we think of as modern, they've become less so in some ways. When I say modernity, I, I don't mean modernity in the sense of Dubai or Abu Dhabi right. or. Atlanta City, you know, I mean, um, I, I, in in Dubai, I mean, there's an older quarter and then there's the modern quarter, uh, which which has no history. And if you go to Abu Dhabi, apparently they have no old quarter at all. They keep destroying buildings that are more than 20 years old and rebuilding. So that, in a sense, is one definition of something that's always kind of new and always modern. Um, but when I speak of modernity, I mean cities like Calcutta and New York, where um, the new is the old and the and the old is the new. The new looks quite old, and um, and that oldness has a contemporaneous about it. Um, so it's, it's the same with a, a work of abstract modern art um, that it doesn't have any kind of clear outlines. So in a sense, it has some of the characteristics of the old, of of that which is falling apart or falling away or disintegrating. And and yet it it has more contemporaneous than something which is, which has clear outlines and is anachronistic and belongs to the past clearly. Right. Uh it's something that can't be grasped, modernity, in, in, in the sense that I mean, uh, whether it's in in words or in visual art or even in cities. Something that is at once old and new, um, and and um, Calcutta is where I first encountered it. The sense of neighbourhood, the sense of estrangement, of moving to foreign places as you move from one neighbourhood to another. You didn't need actually to go to another city or another country. The sense of innate foreignness. Um, that, that's that's what I mean. Rather than the sameness of some kind of contemporary cities. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or, I, I don't know, suburbs or in certain American cities. They, they more or less look the same. It's that sense of, of contradiction and, as you say, that sense of strangeness. And one of the odd things about it, as you talk about it as well, 
is this sense of getting to know a city, and it's only through that strangeness that you really can get to know it and, oddly enough, feel very comfortable about it. There's this sense of almost addiction to it that you talk about. That's right. I mean, um, the sense of of uh, of strangeness, of foreignness, uh, of being transformed um, when when you when you go somewhere, nothing seems to be happening. You're not necessarily going look, uh, from one tourist site to another. You're wandering around in the neighborhood. But a kind of transformation takes place in which you are um, receptive in a different kind of way to what's happening around you. This is how I think of certain cities like Calcutta and Berlin and what New York used to be when I first encountered it in 1979. Um and uh, I, I grew addicted to it in Calcutta, I think. I mean, Cal- Calcutta is the first city when I, where I encountered it. And um, I, I grew ad- addicted to that kind of mixture of, as I said, urban disrepair and, and vibrancy. Um, and then I would be able to sift through and distinguish between my experiences of various cities and feel that I was I felt at home in one and didn't feel at home in another, not on the basis of cultural or nat- national affiliations, but to do with um, the existence of a particular kind of a particular strain of modernity or modern experience in that city. So, in the 70s, in 79, when I first visited America for the first time, I was in San Diego. Um, first of all, that was my first port of call. My cousins uh, lived there, and um, and I, it was so pretty, but I I couldn't feel at home in it. I felt kind of suffocated by it. Um, and I, I, it was my first encounter with American um, affluent American suburbia, and I couldn't understand what it was that I was not feeling at home in. And then we went to New York uh, for the first time, and and there were people walking on the pavements, the clatter of feet of car horns and the smell of urine in certain places and like an addict I had sniffed out that kind of strain of modernity uh, which I had become addicted to without knowing it in Calcutta and New York in 79 reminded me of Calcutta so yeah it's kind of a particular sort of life which is um, difficult for some people and uh, oxygen for others is there a sense of being able to be lost in the city, to be distracted by it in some way that that is part of part of the appeal, part of the the, the addiction that we're talking about? Yeah, it pro- it probably is. Yeah, uh, Walter Benjamin says it takes a kind of particular sort of gift to get lost in cities, and he has a certain kind of city in mind. Um, uh, yes, I, I I think I think that's right. Um, you you can't get it. You can't get lost. I mean, you probably can get lost in a city that you're driving around in. But you're more likely to get lost in a city where you take long walks and are forced to be a pedestrian. Um, so I think when Benjamin talks about getting lost in a city, he's talking about walking through a city and turning somewhere and, and losing one's bearings. Right. Um, and that happens a lot with Venice. You know, I mean. Um, there have been many films and books about getting lost in Venice, and once you go there, you see why. Um, 
uh, and and it's a city uh, that you know is is really kind of meant for people walking. Uh, I mean, the only mode of transport are those kind of gondolas and and uh, and boats. But um, yes, certainly, um, I, I think it's difficult to get lost in cities where where you know um, where you you can only drive around uh, the neighborhoods or um, you know, from one place to another. One of the other things you talk about are the influences in Calcutta, both the Bengal influences, the European influences, and how they play out against each other. Talk a little about that. Um, well, you know, Calcutta um, is not a very old city. It came up probably uh, originated about 350 years ago from three villages. Part of the catalyst for that for the emergence of the city was was uh, you know the the, uh, the arrival of uh, the British uh, the colonial sort of moment um, and and then this kind of remarkable metropolis began to emerge and come into its own in the early 19th century but by the middle of the 19th century a new class had emerged within that city called uh, the Bhadraluk, the Bengali word Bhadraluk, um, literally translated means Bhadra means polite, Lok means person or people, so polite person, new bourgeoisie, Bhadraluk, um, and they were multilingual. They 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 spoke English fluently, um, but also but but they also made the kind of decision to turn towards the Bengali language to express their new kind of cosmopolitan eclecticism, not to just express cultural identity and authenticity, the authenticity of being an Indian or a Bengali, but to express this new sense of being modern, which, which, which is what made Bengali such a rich modern uh, literature and different from, let's say, Gaelic, which never took off for a long time under the Irish. All the great Irish works of modernity are written in English, because Gaelic became, I think, a language of um, cultural authenticity and identity. Um, Bengali was more than that. It was a language of modernity with all its ambivalences. So you had this Bhadraluk class um, to just kind of narrow it down to one set of people who had hegemony for a long time. And, and then you had this remarkable mix within them of, of all kinds of influences, which can't be even, even the city can't be completely reduced to colonial influence, because if you look at the houses that came up in the 20s, um, uh, in, in various parts of Calcutta, they are a peculiar uh, mix of the Bengali style, uh, you know, the word bungalow comes from Bengal, Bangla, um, uh, with verandas, etc., but they're two-storied, they have red oxides uh, of stone floors, uh, they have slatted French windows, which might have come in with the French in the 17th century. Uh, they have open terraces, but they don't look like each other. Each is a variation with, of, of this particular kind of set of characteristics with, uh, uh, with certain family resemblances. Um, so it's a remarkable hybrid kind of world in, in which these people lived um, and produced, uh, of course, um, a remarkable people. I mean, like the poet Tagore, uh, who won the Nobel Prize 
the, the great filmmaker Satyajit Ray, who was one of the greatest filmmakers of the 20th century in art house cinema, um, Ravi Shankar, the sitar player, uh, but various scientists like Satyan Bose, after whom the boson is named, and who, who discovered uh, what is called the Bose-Einstein statistics, which, create, which made quantum uh, mechanics in physics possible. I mean, it's made the modern world possible. And also Jagdish Bose, who first uh, discovered, as is acknowledged now, radio waves before Marconi. So the, our mobile phones, uh, radio, besides radios, you know, it goes back to the, those discoveries made by these men in Calcutta. So something remarkable did happen, but it happened invisibly largely, which also makes it fascinating. The tea shops that you talk about are in some ways a reflection of that too. They're they're very diverse in just the whole idea of the way they're set up. I, I suppose one, one of the preoccupations of the Bhadrulok was was something called Adda, which which uh, is a word that occurs in Hindi as well, but refers to a venue, but in, in where people sit and talk, but. In Bengali, refers to actually conversation. Adda means a particular kind of drifting conversation, maybe such as we're having right now, um, where we could be talking about tea, tea at one moment, football at another, and and Nietzsche uh, or the Bhagavad Gita at another. So it was a drifting sort of conversation. One of the venues for that would have been tea shops and times, but not exclusively so. They also took place often on the porches of people's houses on, in neighborhoods. Um, and, and again, the, the point towards this kind of um, the journeys people were making by sitting in one place um, in that kind of ethos of modernity in that city. What's the nexus between these elections that took place that you write about and the way the city has begun to change? Well, the elections um, that took place in 2011 saw the exiting of that left-front Marxist government after 34 years, which means they had won seven of, of those elections previously and then got chucked out because people just couldn't bear to have them around anymore. But they knew they were voting in a person called Mamata Banerjee, who was quite volatile. And, um, you know, they, they weren't necessarily voting in somebody who was clearly going to be a savior and a panacea to the various problems in Bengal. But they just wanted the left-hand government out, I think. So the, the, the message of this new person, Mamata Banerjee, this woman, um, who's now chief minister, was, in fact, the word poribotton, which means transformation or change, simply change. Um, and people wanted change, but um, change has... She's been in the government for two years. She, the kind of change that people had hoped for hasn't happened so far, which is opening up the state again to sort of um, uh, industry investment, uh, the rest of... Uh, the India, the rest of the world, what's happening globally, all of us, uh, you know, um, many of us feel kind of um, wary about the effects of globalization um, and it's, you know, homogenizing sort of um, a mission. Um, it's, it's, it, but, but, but to be completely isolated from it is also um, 
unex- uh, you know, untenable uh, as as you would know if you lived in a place like Calcutta. Of course, Calcutta bears the imprint of globalization. It can't help but bear the imprint of globalization, if only because so many people from Calcutta live now not in not only in places like Delhi and Bangalore. Uh, serving the engine of globalization in India, but also serving and in some ways um, propelling the engine in other parts of the world, including New Jersey. Has Calcutta begun to become more homogenized in that sense? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I would say that um, Calcutta is, is still very much a Bengali city, but it's that Bengaliness is somewhat homogenized now it's um the the city is kind of divided between uh, a kind of self consciousness of being a bengali city while in actuality um as everybody knows um economically it's controlled by this group of migrants from rajasthan called the marwaris um and um and one would like the bengaliness to be more diverse than it is. I mean, pe- Bengal is moving and becoming very successful, moving to America and becoming very successful there, hasn't led to them becoming more culturally diverse, I think, I might be wrong, uh, but ex- but in fact, to, uh, to them becoming more nostalgic and wanting to recreate the Bengal they know when they have their kind of cultural events in America and shutting themselves off in a, in a sense from America. And Calcutta too kind of now creates a nostalgic version of Bengaliness by playing songs by Tagore at traffic junctions, etc., and having him um, sort of having restaurants and um, every new kind of institution or building named after him. Um, one would like to see more diversity in terms of the people who live in Calcutta and more of an engagement. Um, the Bengali spot of you know other other communities. In that sense, has it become as it's made quote unquote progress? Has it become less cosmopolitan? Yes. Yeah. I I I I think at least at this point it might be, might might change, but I think that's true of India or maybe other parts of the world generally. Certainly of India. That uh, uh, if you look at places which have progressed under globalization in India, um, and I put the word progressed within scare quotes, but mm-hmm. if you look at places like Bombay, which were completely transformed by globalization, um, or Delhi, um, that they have, along with the boom which happened, um, also big, and, and th- that pro- progress um, has kind of electrified, the, those, the, the, especially Bombay in certain ways, but, so I don't want to dismiss it, but it has made it on various levels much more conservative in in other ways, um, much less kind of um, concerned with social issues of their social conscience, but also in some ways right-wing. So we've had the rise of right-wing figures and right-wing parties coterminously with the so-called progress and opening up economically. Have you found that in your travels to be the case in other great cities as well? I know you spent a great deal of time in Berlin, and as you look around the world and see things changing, do you see that same pattern, or is this something that is particularly indigenous to the way Calcutta is evolving? 
I mean, it's particularly, I mean, it's much more striking in other cities, this, the rise of the right wing than in Calcutta. I mean, Calcutta, I think, you know, the, the, for what it's worth, the, the legacy of the, the humanism that happened in the 19th century must be one of the reasons why, despite its other failures, it's never actually had a right wing party in power or even in a successful alliance. Um, now, when I travel to other parts of the world, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I do see, I, I, I do see, hmm, I'm trying to think. One of the things that has, has struck me most about traveling to other parts of the world has been to travel within Europe and to notice how Europe has become has be begun to think of itself as provincial in a new kind of way. Um, so, with with globalization, the rise of globalization, what you've had is the rise of Anglophone globalization. It's more or less Anglophone. So even the French uh, are watching Hollywood movies dubbed in into French, but, but, but and and there's McDonald's and and Starbucks and all of that on the Champs-Élysées. So, you know, there, there is a great Anglophone mission uh, of which India has uh, benefited from with its call centers and all of that uh, to, to globalization. So when you go to Paris or you go to a European city these days, in contrast to 30 years ago when many, many of those people wouldn't have spoken back to you in English and would have wanted you to say something to them in their own language, and there was parity between languages, and Europe was still considered, European cities were still considered great cultural centers. Um, now there's a sense of marginality, and people will speak to you in English if you speak to them in English. And, and, um, and this has given rise to a sense of being on the periphery sometimes in, in these great European cities. But it also means that something is happening there which is hidden, from our usual Anglophone accounts of globalization, which I find very interesting. Amit Chowdhury. The book is Calcutta, Two Years in the City. It is just out from Kanaf. Ahmed, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 